We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What does the NFL Super Wildcard Round mean for the NFL and for fantasy football moving forward? We're going to talk a little bit about that on today's show. We are looking at the injury report and we have Sean Siegel battling through. It was a, Sean, this was a, you know, when you see sometimes in the NFL, there's, you know, questionable, probable. This was a doubtful tag for, for the show today. Uh, but we have Sean Siegel battling through that uh, injury or illness to, to bring us some thoughts here, which I'm very excited for. Sean, I won't start out with, out with the how are you feeling, but what are your uh, feelings after which, you know, for Chiefs supporters, for Packers supporters, for any of the teams that won this last weekend, it was a pretty super wildcard weekend. It was, it was. So, you know, anybody who's rooting along the same lines as the two of us had a, a very good week. And I apologize to listeners for not being available earlier. I actually asked blair if he wanted to take this show and then he said that he was getting sick as well so i thought i mean if everybody's sick might as well jump in myself i would have loved to have brought these thoughts a couple days ago is basically what i am saying when you know it's fresher and, and more relevant perhaps but column it was so much fun to watch these games and one of the things that happened we got more fireworks we got more scoring i think than was anticipated considering the weather the weather didn't seem to influence these games unduly, perhaps unless you were a member of the Miami Dolphins. Colin, as I was looking through my underdog results, obviously we did a number of shows on that content on the site. It was very exciting to see so many of the theses play out. It was exciting to see such a high advance rate. I certainly advanced a lot more teams than really was the goal with how we were approaching that. And yet, one of the th funny things about it, and I'm sure this will be an experience shared by many, you look through those teams that advanced, and they're pretty heavily Dak Prescott, Jake Ferguson, Puka Nakua teams, and that's not really the goal. <laughs> so that part of it, a little bit frustrating. I had an absolute ton of Rasheed Rice. He scored in a big, big way, did have one touchdown called back, unfortunately, and it was a correct call, but one behind the play that didn't influence it. That was too bad. The Chiefs continue to get just catastrophic play from their right tackle. 
unfortunately, or fortunately in this game, it didn't make a difference to the reality score. But because of the overall environment, where we had so much scoring and we had such big games from losing teams, it sort of upset the apple cart in terms of some of the goals that we had to accomplish. And certainly with such a high share of Rasheed Rice and with a focus on Chiefs and Lions as the two teams to really work through, it was disappointing to actually not get that many teams through that are heavily Chiefs, heavily Lions, some kind of mix of that. Again, because the losers scored so many points. So we'll go into that in a little more detail column. We're going to try and record a couple of shows together here, perhaps releasing a mitten returns draft that would be kind of fun looking at what drafters are doing for the upcoming weekend as you know a little under the weather yesterday one of the things you can still definitely do is click on your phone there and play a lot of underdog drafts so i have a good sense of what drafters are doing in that format and it is bizarre these are probably the softest drafts i've ever seen in any type of fantasy which for listeners and participants is Fantastic most of the time. It will cause you some headaches when other drafters don't do what you need. But, I mean, it's it's the Wild West out there in those drafts. So that'll be coming up. But, Colin, start us out with the game here. All of these games were, yeah, they were all fun if you were on the right side. And Yeah. The the thing that I think with these games, Sean, and, and for teams where there was upsets, for example, heading into this weekend, I felt like anything that me or you had talked about or called was kind of coming to fruition. But some of them, when you're watching the game, for example, the Texans Brown starts off pretty fun, but then you've the back-to-back pick sixes. That game's like so wipe out at that point. Even for example, the Packers, there is a little bit of a fight by the the Cowboys at the end. But that game, and all my wildest predictions for that, I had not predicted the Packers kind of you know racing ahead like they did. There was a number of games like that, even the Chiefs game after, like these games looked to be well in hand. And then we got a little bit of a closer game with the the Rams and the Lions at the end. But the the games were kind of comfortable wins in the directions that we felt. And I I felt like, you know, the Buccaneers could upset the Eagles, but as comfortable as it was, was still a surprise. And the Packers upsetting the Cowboys, a surprise in how comfortable it was. The Bills then putting up as many points with the weather concerns, even though it was shuffled back a day. You know, there was a lot of things that we felt would go in a direction, but they kind of even went in an easier direction than we may have anticipated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we thought these things could happen, but we weren't (laughs) this confident that there would be by this. So an exaggerated, that is a good way to put it. Looking through them though, Sean, some of the players that I was most optimistic about heading into the weekend as well, they had their big days you mentioned rice who has just continued to come on and come on and come on and then the other one like josh allen for example but i think Aaron jones when i was talking through things with you he was the player that i was most optimistic about and either game script a packers win or a packers loss but he has you know three touchdowns 118 yards we will talk about the players i guess who had the big weeks we'll also talk about the players who maybe we were surprised like we haven't seen huge games from romeo dobbs for example over the the last little bit he gets in the end zone he's a red zone target but six targets for 151 yards and a touchdown for him for example we had puka he owns all the rookie records sean at this point i think <laughs> nine for one eight one i think the most disappointing for example in some of the contests that i was this weekend particularly in the ffpc i i thought that you would get a a nice you know discount in terms of roster percentages on cup versus nakua and i do think that 
there's teams that have cup on them that if they had Nakua and then they would be in with a legitimate shot to be at the top, you know, come the end of the contest. So that was one area where I failed, I think, this weekend because the gap in ownership wasn't as high as I would have thought coming in. But you mentioned, Sean, the underdog contests and how things played out there. I think if the Cowboys don't come back in the way they do in that game where we have Dak Prescott with you know 403 yards three touchdowns we have three touchdowns to, to Ferguson there's quite a few of those Dallas stack teams and some of those may be the ones that you're mentioning that have advanced for you but there's quite a few of those that heading into the fourth quarter I think the landscape of those fantasy contests and advances look very very different I think we'll I'm going to let you pick which game you want to start out on because I think we can go through the games pretty rapidly focusing on specific players and, and what maybe that means for their longer term future. Where do you, Probably the least to talk about maybe is where we start with the, the Cowboy or the, sorry, the, the Buccaneers and Eagles. That's probably the most straightforward. Was there anything of particular note for you coming out of that contest? The Eagles defense is really, really bad and... <laughs> cannot tackle uh, and the other part of it is that i think injuries caught up with them and also i think teams around the league caught up with what they're trying to do it certainly seems like teams have caught up the loss of the two coordinators has been a much bigger blow that i think anybody could have anticipated it's always a loss and those two coordinators especially shane steichen going to the colts seem to have a lot of success in when you trace back what happened a year ago and who deserves the credit who was driving the engine for that i mean he really seems to be the guy but you look at this particular game and one of the things here that didn't make much sense to me and kind of wrote this up in the ffpc blueprint article last week is that still favoring the eagles and still playing the eagles at the point that we were in the middle of last week, where you have all of that information, where A.J. Brown is out, where this team has just fully collapsed. And, I mean, they have one of the NFL's worst defenses. So if you also don't have A.J. Brown and you have a Jalen Hurts who's less than 100%, I guess I don't think there are hardly any teams in the NFL that you would favor them against. Certainly not a Tampa Bay team that is okay. Right now, Tampa Bay comes out of a division that was apocalyptically bad a division that was so bad that the atlanta falcons were in the mix right till the final week and so we know that this isn't a power team and yet baker mayfield has generally played well now he had some injury concerns coming in but has generally played well they have rashad white as a hybrid running back they have two veteran wide receivers who know what they're doing in mike evans who was actually limited in this game he drops a couple of potential big plays so one if he had really mike big evans one on down the sideline yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretty disappointed. But they have some other guys. I mean, Kate Otten played well again in this one. You have both David Moore and Trey Palmer breaking some long plays. Palmer especially is someone to look out for in the future. I mean, he's probably never going to be more than, say, a wide receiver three, four borderline type of guy. But certainly when you're drafting early next year in best ball, when you're thinking about the final roster spots in Dynasty, he's someone where the profile there was very interesting. The athleticism is elite. You think about some of the guys who had good seasons this year, you know, kind of out of nowhere. You think about someone like a Tank Dell. Now, that's not to say that, you know, we're going to give all of the credit for Dell's season to C.J. Stroud. But there's a huge difference between not having anyone in front of you who's meaningful and getting C.J. Stroud 
versus playing with Baker Mayfield and being buried behind Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Possibly the situation for Palmer doesn't get any better, but I mean, there are scenarios where he goes on to be a second year breakout who still isn't particularly expensive. So you have to really like this team. I think at least in this game at home with everything that the Eagles were facing, that element of it seemed pretty exploitable. Now, the other thing that does jump out to you is this game from Devontae Smith, where he catches eight balls, 148 yards, has a 55-yard reception, is targeted 12 times, and it just is pretty mind-boggling to think about how good he is. Because every time that he is the guy for the Eagles, you see the long speed, you see the ability for a small guy at the catch point, you see the ability to elevate and make plays on the ball. You got this run out of the catch. You got the vertical, everything, right? I mean, he is the perfect small receiver. And yet when they have all three guys healthy, Jalen Hurts and or the offensive coordinators have not been able to get him involved in a way that makes a difference. It shouldn't require A.J. Brown to be out to unlock a player who is a superstar in his own right. Anybody who drafted him in the second round this year and watched this game has every right to be furious with the Eagles coaching staff and potentially with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback who is a viable MVP candidate, one of the best players in the league. He needs to be able to get the ball to a playmaker like this. I just have absolutely no idea what the Eagles are doing. One thing that I think is important to keep in mind here, and again, I bring coaching experience from Division II tennis, which people are going to say that's you know about as far away from the NFL as you can possibly get. And yet anybody who's led anything knows that it's not some simple you know A to B type of dynamic in terms of wanting something to happen and getting it to happen with the people that you're leading, coaching, what have you. The Eagles, with what they did last year and what they accomplished through the first 11 games this season, that's not something that we should just ignore. There are so many situations where you feel like, ah, I just, I've got to get away from what happened and I'm going to make the move. And then you, you know, spend 40 years in the wilderness, right? But what the Eagles did this season is far, far worse than what Dallas did in their home playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. The Eagles haven't been afraid to make moves. They've had success with multiple head coaches in part because their front office kind of top to bottom ownership, what have you, is so strong. They have some aging players. That's been one of the big stories. Jason Kelsey, all of that kind of thing. They are going to have to continue to add. But when you have an organization that is this strong, I mean, they're in position to make a coaching move. And I kind of think that they have to do that. You just had too many things exposed throughout the course of the season. And it's one of these situations too, where, I mean, how do you get to this point in the year and a person calling the defensive plays for you is the disgraced offensive coordinator from last year's New England Patriots team that, you know, <laughs> in part led to everyone getting fired there, right? That's just not a tenable way to have approached this. You've got to get a different man up top. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, the other thing, you like, uh, it's one of the biggest collapses I think we've seen in, in any season in the NFL. They were 10-1 and one at a point. They last six games of the regular season they lose five win one that was against the giants and then you get into a situation where they lose again so out of those last uh seven games now sean they've lost six of them so i think if there is a coaching change they're not not going to be a, a surprise on to the buffalo bills and the steelers the steelers you know they're they, they've been the steelers this year they kind of snuck their way into the playoffs where they probably shouldn't be they're starting mason rudolph there's not a lot on the Steelers side that I, I learned in this game, I guess I would say. Um, on, on the Bills side, though, we have continued to see the emergence of Dalton Kincaid. He got six targets here, three receptions. But the highlight of that being a 29-yard touchdown reception, they were using him a little bit more vertically, which is you know nice to see. Shakir gets in the end zone again. He's done that quite a bit. Knox got in the end zone as well, but he just had the one reception for nine yards. So Kincaid has moved his way into the number one tight end, definitely on the, the roster at this point of the season digs seven receptions on nine targets with just the 52 yards but this looked like a, a better game plan but i think it's gonna be interesting to see this coming weekend in the divisional round how they stack up when there's you know maybe a little bit more of a competitive side on the other end but sean the highlight play of this for me was the josh allen 52 yard russian touchdown which was an incredible play any any takeaways here from the the bill Steelers? Well, I think if you're a Buffalo fan, you probably are a little bit disappointed that the game was this close. If George Pickens doesn't fumble, then, I mean, this could have been a competitive game down to the wire. It's another game in which post-offensive coordinator change, they have not been able to get any individual receivers really going. And that was the thing that they did manage in week 18 against the Dolphins, but you get right back here to where we have Kincaid, Diggs, you know, in that 50-ish range. You have Diggs with the nine targets, which I think you like, but have nine targets for him and only 52 yards. That's disappointing. Certainly as you're playing fantasy contests that start this week, you're going to be aware of the fact that Dalton Kincaid is the guy. And you're going to be aware of the fact that Khalil Shakir is a really good arbitrage play on what Diggs is bringing. Now, a lot to follow the news on Gabe Davis. And he's somebody who even though, I mean, he's, Posted about 50% donuts over the second half of the season, you know he could break out for 150 yards and three touchdowns at any time. That's why he's always the trendy play in anything that has any type of DFS-ish orientation. But that part is frustrating, I think, when you look at going against this Kansas City Chiefs team that in many ways is actually a better version of the Chiefs from the past. A team that has an elite defense and still has Patrick Mahomes and now has Rasheed Rice emerging. The thing that you do like here and the thing that we've really gotten since the coordinator change and Joe Barry has, I don't know, exactly unlocked. I mean, obviously, this is something that 
Josh Allen has always shown him been capable of, but they really leaned into the Allen rushing. You mentioned the long touchdown. He's been so dynamic here that even in games where he only throws for like 200 yards, as he did in this one, the touchdowns can come. The fantasy points are there. And even without TJ Watt, when you have this type of weather, when you have this type of pressure, when you have Mike Tomlin on the other sideline and the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, I think that you have to be generally speaking very pleased with Josh Allen, the limiting of the mistakes. Again, the mistakes in this game come from the Steelers side. That was the thing they really had to limit. Nothing really jumps out to you from the Steelers, but if you have Pat Fryermuth in Dynasty, this is an encouraging game. He's still going to eventually be that TJ Hawkinson type of weapon or TJ Hawkinson light. It's always going to depend for those guys what we end up getting from the Steelers at the QB position. Mason Rudolph has helped them a little bit. You know, what direction are they going to go? Are they going to get an upgrade on Mason Rudolph? Are they going to go back to Kenny Pickett? I still think that he has some potential as an NFL QB, unfortunately, because of the poor coordinator situation that he's had to endure with the Steelers. It may be with some other team. I mean, he may eventually be a Geno Smith somewhere else six, seven years down the line. The line doesn't jump out from Jalen Warren here, but this was another game where he made some extraordinary runs, running over people, leaving guys to dance and, you know, try and grab at shadows. Every touch here in this game, and I thought that Najee Harris was a really good stealth play coming into this game. You look at what his workload had been, the potential for touchdowns, in a situation where things break in the right way talk about how many tackles he broke this season this was another game where the contrast between these backs was so stark and i just really think if you take those 12 carries for Najee harris you give eight of them to jalen warren you make four of them passes george pickens doesn't fumble this is a, a toss-up game right so i mean Najee harris is probably too good to be a pure backup somewhere but it's just a real disservice to Jalen Warren and to Pittsburgh Steelers fans that he continues to be the lead back for the Steelers. I mean, Jalen Warren is a superstar. With the Kansas City Chiefs now, Sean, and you know they faced the Miami Dolphins, and Miami Dolphins did not fare well in the, the element. You know, it's going to be difficult for anyone in those elements, but uh, yeah, did not work out for the Dolphins here. They, a team a little bit like when we were talking about the Eagles, they didn't collapse in the same way, but injuries, you know, performance, they, they kind of faded as the season went along. I guess they expect, maybe you could say in those situations, those teams peaked a little bit too early, certainly early season front runners in terms of expectations for a deep run in the playoffs. Didn't get anything going in the run game. They had 18 total carries for the team for 76 yards. Passing game non-existent outside of Tyreek Hill, who had 62 yards and five catches and one touchdown for him but sean on the other side pacheco continues to run pretty well you know it's 24 attempts for 89 yards which isn't exceptional he has a 23 yard long on that so if you take that one rush out it's going to narrow it down to even less but effective kind of in the run game gets the the rushing touchdown but again here the talking point is how this team has shifted from spreading targets they're still spreading targets around to you know Cole Hardman's three targets, Richie James is two, MBS is two, Watson is two, Noah Gray is one. Like they're spreading around some of those extra targets, but we are seeing it just be Rishi Rice and Travis Kelsey. And now Rishi Rice is kind of almost taking over the target share there as well. So he had 12 targets, Kelsey at 10, Kelsey seven for 71. 
but we do have Rishi Rice, eight for 130 and a touchdown. You mentioned the other one called back, but he has just developed into, again, we had expectations going into the season that he would develop throughout the season and become, you know, Patrick Mahomes' true wide receiver one in this offense. It feels to me like that is the case. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago about round one, round two, round three of next year's drafts. Rishi Rice is just pushing himself further and further and further into into that position. He really is. I mean, you're now to the point where you'd have to consider Rishi Rice in round two of redraft. I mean, he's that good. We we expected him to be the wide receiver one. We didn't necessarily expect him to be this good or the other guys to be this bad. Well, I, I think our fair my fair Sean was that we have seen wide receivers go in and not be given the opportunity, I guess, to be the true like it's been spread around so much that the the pie gets so thin and spread out that it's not enough there to really give them the opportunity to to be that but i think he has even with some of the issues maybe he had at certain points with some drops that he has shown to be the most reliable and at this point i think the most talented well and he made some really nice catches in this game where you have the extreme conditions and you have those patrick mahomes passes as you're running those crossing routes you catch it you're going to go for 30 yards you drop it and it completely changes the game i mean those were huge momentum swings as they dominate this game early and this is a game where i mean the chiefs could have won by a wider margin if they had demonstrated a little bit more creativity and just success in the red zone inside the 10 yard line they were really pedestrian compared to where they were in every other facet in this game i mean they dominated this from beginning to end one of the things that jumps out is just the big disparity in play total they run 75 plays only 59 for the dolphins they also average a full yard per play more than miami you don't get a game that's that much more lopsided when you're looking through and again i don't think that this game was a surprise at all i was a little bit uncertain as to why the spread wasn't larger in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs obviously they had beaten the Dolphins at home previously this season they have their best defense during the entire time that Andy Reid has been there you still have Patrick Mahomes they now have an emerging number one to go with Travis Kelsey you could argue that they have an emerging running back starter and just to have a starting caliber running back even if he's slightly below average which he probably is that's a big difference from having Clyde Edwards Alaire or the rookie version of Pacheco, which is what they've had for a long time, right? So this team is more talented than the previous Chiefs teams, top to bottom. And so, really, what you're looking at when you're saying, okay, well, Kansas City didn't have a strong season, and they didn't. I mean, if you look at the individual games, they struggled in the same way that if you look at the individual games for the Buffalo Bills, they struggled, which makes it an interesting matchup as we go forward to Buffalo next weekend. But one of the things here is just the line wasn't fair to the Dolphins at all. I mean, their defense was ravaged by injuries. I mean, how are you going to go to Arrowhead and stop Patrick Mahomes now that Rasheed Rice is actually the guy when you don't have your starters? It's going to be nearly impossible. And then especially when on the offensive side of the ball, you're also missing pieces. Jalen Waddle playing but severely limited. You know that Tyreek Hill is going to get double, triple, quadruple team by Kansas City, who again... I mean, it would be the case regardless, but with all the talking that Tyreek Hill has done and backed up, right? This isn't a criticism of Tyreek Hill. He's backed up everything that he said. But with all of that talk and just knowing you need to win the game, there's no question in anybody's mind what's going to happen. The Chiefs are going to go out there and they're going to limit Tyreek Hill, if not for sort of a weirdly blown 
play on the 53-yard touchdown, I mean, they would have held him to nothing. And that was a play where the defensive back was there so early that he, like, panicked. He tried to commit pass interference. He tried to tackle him before the ball was there. And then he's like, oh, well, the ball's not there, so I'm going to, like, fall down and back away. That's probably not the right choice. <laughs> right, Tyreek Hill catches it. He walks into the end zone. Otherwise, they were fantastic on him. The Chiefs have elite corners. They, I mean, this is a team that top to bottom is fantastic. That's not to say that they're going to win because you're going to go to a Buffalo team that's awesome. If you win, you're probably going to go to a Baltimore Ravens team that's absolutely fantastic. You get to this time of the playoffs and you're playing other good teams. They're going to be coin flip games, but this one wasn't, and it didn't project that way going in. I don't think that we learned anything about the Dolphins. I don't think there's anything to hold against Tua for this game. You see a lot of reactions to this saying, well, this is another indication that the previous coaching staff was right. He can't really play. He doesn't have a strong enough arm. It's, it's weird to say, but I think in the same way that the Chiefs have needed to add around Travis Kelsey, it's been a bit of a mistake for the Dolphins to go with essentially just Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. And partly the issue that you have there is they've invested so much in those players. When you look at the picks spent on them, the money spent on Tyree Kill, it can be hard to continue to round out that roster. But if anybody is limited, and Tyree Kill has spent a lot of time limited this season, even with the extraordinary season he had, you look at Jalen Waddle, obviously, if this was a regular season game, my sense was that he wouldn't have played. Where else does Tua have to go with the ball, right? And this is an offense predicated on these guys being able to get open instantly off of the snap. Now, you know, partly you're going to say, well, what about for all the teams that don't have that? I mean, their quarterbacks are being judged on a different set of criteria. And yeah, it does help Tua that you have a coach and you have receivers that get these guys open instantly so that he can have this ultra low time to release. Right? That's one of the things they were talking about is how it was one of the games all season. I think the, the highest or the longest time he spent holding the ball all year long, well, again, I mean, part of that is almost by definition when you look at the situation that he was in. So I mean, you can't look at two and be like, oh, I mean, he's got a lot working against him. He's only got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle because, you know, the vast majority of the teams would consider that an embarrassment of riches. But when you look at what the Dolphins need to do taking the next step, one of the things that they were constantly trying this offseason was to add another back, to potentially add Dalvin Cook, to potentially add Jonathan Taylor. They've got the backs. The backs in this particular game, obviously, were not a viable way to approach it. You get six carries for nine yards for HN, which I thought he was someone who could have some success because when the Chiefs do struggle, it's because their run defense struggles. If you get up on them and can control the game a little bit, you can shorten the game. You can keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand. That obviously not a path that the Dolphins had in the wild card. It certainly wasn't, and it feels like the Chiefs team is just peaking at the, the right time in terms of even that defense has improved over the last kind of six or eight weeks in terms of their metrics. But, Sean, a team that may be peaking at the right time, I don't have a – we'll talk about this later, but I don't have – a lot of optimism I, I feel like there was a chance they beat the cowboys i talked about you know I, I didn't see a way the 49ers aren't in the the super bowl for the nfc side but now the packers face off against them this week which is going to be a, an interesting challenge but looking at this game the packers are 27 to 0 ahead touchdown just before halftime for the cowboys packers then follow you know what the, the cowboys start in the second half of the ball but the, the thing that impressed me the most is when that door started to kind of open up for the Cowboys, the Packers went back and 
you know, got in the end zone again and continued to do that. And even with the 41 points on the board after the, the pick six and so on, they they go ahead and they kind of put their foot on the throat and put up that extra score. And in the end, that extra score was was vital. But at the time, it felt like maybe it was pouring it on a little bit much. We've seen teams take that to heart over the last couple of weeks, you know, in the Atlanta Falcons, for example. But Jordan Love, Sean, only 21 pass attempts, 16 completions, 271, three touchdowns. Some fantastic throws, some of them obviously wide open, but some of the decision-making to particularly on the, the Wix touchdown to adjust the protection, to hit that pass, just some amazing development for him pretty much since Thanksgiving because there was a lot of shows before that, Sean, that we were talking about these deep passes down the field that always seemed to be like three to four yards away from where they should be. Was that on the, the young wide receivers or the tight ends? Was that on Jordan Love? Was it a combination of both? But between him, the play calling, Matt LaFleur, everything has really, over the last two months jumped forward to a, a massive level and then you've Aaron Jones who goes over 100 yards again three touchdowns as I mentioned earlier for me the talking point was probably that Jaden Reed didn't have a reception in this game Christian Watson had one reception and one target Jaden Reed had the, the three targets but that was for me part of the impressive nature of it because even those players now with what they are kind of doing or have done in the tournament like watson tore this cowboys team apart last year it kind of freed up a lot of the other playmakers and while i consistently gripe with teams not feeding the particular stars on the roster enough targets with the packers team at the moment it feels like there's so many players emerging that it's very hard to cover them all in a similar sense to maybe not saying these players are at the talent or the ability of the 49ers but in the same way it's hard to cover all bases with a team like the 49ers where there is so many players who can make those plays but the other side of that was we mentioned the kind of downside of some of the, the playoff contests and the Cowboys surging back you know even Tony Pollard gets in the end zone on this one Lamb who Lamb looked really off early in this game I'm not quite sure what was happening there a couple of plays you would expect him to make but he has 17 targets nine receptions 110 yards to finish it off so the connection with him and Dak just wasn't the same as it normally was but ferguson has 12 targets 10 receptions 93 yards he also gets three touchdowns to go along with it so the two of those along with back really tearing up some of those contest scripts i guess what are your takeaways here is it jake ferguson is a prime tight end for 2024 is it there's not much i don't think to take away from the dak lamb side even though we've seen probably some overreactions like you mentioned with Tua to the the dak prescott conversation or is it anything to do with the young Packers playmakers? I think the takeaway here is Jordan Love is the real deal. It's been astonishing. And I think that especially within the context of 2023, where the vertical passing has been difficult, that what we've seen from CJ Stroud and what we've witnessed from Jordan Love, it, it just makes it, all the more impressive and exciting. And I think you have to give both the quarterbacks and their coordinators a ton of credit for this. I mean, the QBs who are going to get the most credit full season are going to end up being Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson, and they probably deserve that. We do know that they're surrounded by very strong coaching staffs and very strong teams top to bottom. And, you know, my guess is that Lamar Jackson is the MVP, and he did some very good things this year. But 
if we look at the season in segments, I certainly think that C.J. Stroud, for me, is not just the rookie of the year, but for the first two-thirds, and until you end up with some of the injuries to Tank Dell, to you know various players like you know Noah Brown now dealing with an injury, and that has been ongoing, not just you know this week or anything. But the his ability with the I mean, in all likelihood, the guys he's playing with are not stars, but they look like the best players in the world. And what he has done, what he did through the first two thirds of the season, then what he comes out and does in the playoff game in the wild card, he would be my first two thirds of the year MVP. You look at the last third of the season, and I think the MVP is Jordan Love. And for both of these guys, you have the size, the mobility, the arm. And, you know, with Stroud, certainly the accuracy, with Love, the ability to execute within this offense where Matt LaFleur has been just an absolute genius. And you think through all of the different Shanahan, Kubiak, what have you, coaching tree guys, all of the gurus. And my sense is that LaFleur kind of gets looked at as a product of other coaches and things like Aaron Rodgers as he's there as a young coach. And certainly those things help. But as we get to the middle of this season and then we see the reaction, we see what he's able to do. And again, we talk about injuries and how those have impacted different teams and why it's okay to give Tua a little bit of a break, why it's okay to understand that the Eagles experienced two separate things. One is a collapse, and then two is the fact they didn't have A.J. Brown. And without A.J. Brown, they're going to be very, very different. Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur have done this with Christian Watson barely playing. One of the things that's happened the last several weeks is you finally have Aaron Jones, and you're like, oh, when they have one of the best running backs in the NFL instead of someone who should probably not be on a practice squad, and I say that somewhat lovingly. I've always thought that A.J. Dillon could be the guy, and he just I mean, he hasn't been. It's been pretty catastrophic when he is the ball carrier for the Packers but you don't have that you have Musgrave out a lot I mean in this game you come in and Christian Watson is very clearly not ready to play Jaden Reed probably just a glorified decoy now he does get a few targets but he's dealing with that chest injury I mean one of the things here is I mean my heart goes out to people who lost in week 17 on Sunday night football with his massive game because you look at this and you're like a zero was also possible. No, it probably wasn't with the health that he had going into that game. But I mean, the flip side of it is that I dodged some Romeo Dobbs bullets in week 17. And you look at this game and we're certainly, or at least I have been a big Dobbs fan. I thought he was going to have a much bigger year. It was shocking to me that this, the Packers could be this successful and that he would really not take part in it other than kind of an underneath possession guy, occasionally a red zone guy, occasionally but when they needed him, when some of these other guys were not available and had to be the decoys themselves, he comes out and Colin, he's wide open this entire game and he's wide open down the field. It wasn't something where he can only catch a ball, you know, two or three yards across the line of scrimmage or can't play. I mean, six for 151 and a touchdown. And again, this is a situation where these guys, if they had needed to play a full game, you're talking about like the Amari Cooper 11, 265 and, you know, a billion touchdowns type of game. Right, because this is a situation where we go into it, and due to the fact that the Packers, you know, did stop trying to humiliate the Cowboys at a certain point, you know, they get to forty-eight, and they're like, "All right, we're kind well, of." They did, they did pull. They, they did pull the starters out, and yeah, then they put early. them back in again. Just well, like you know, I mean, 
just to have like a different version of players in there to hand the ball off. But this is a game because of the game script. When we talked about the big disparity in plays in Chiefs Dolphins, this is a game where the trailing team ran 89 plays to only 54 for the Packers, but two yards per play more for Green Bay. And it really actually wasn't even that bad of a game overall for the Cowboys skill position guys. Again, that's one of the things that sort of broke the contest is that you have any kind of Cowboys oriented team was going to advance because Tony Pollard scores a touchdown. You know, Michael Gallup goes for a hundred. This is an insane game. I think it's really frustrating for Cowboys fans because you kind of think on the one hand that if we got started earlier, it would have been interesting. But one of the issues here, and this is kind of one of those things where it's either like a backhanded compliment or it's, you know, a, a hit comment or, you know, what have you. It, the thing with Dak Prescott is you just you do have to put in perspective where he is. And where he is is very good, but not great. And when you're talking about Dak Prescott as being around the 10th best QB in the NFL, and certainly someone where when you have a CD lamb and you have a good offensive play caller in Mike McCarthy, and you're playing a lot of aggressive games against weak defenses in a dome, you're going to put up great stats. But we have nothing in Prescott's track record to believe that he is anything like the quarterbacks who are remaining on the AFC side. There's no reason to believe that he has what it takes to defeat, say, a Los Angeles Rams team with Matthew Stafford or the team like the 49ers are going to put out there. There's just a gap down to where he is. And so in some ways, expecting the Cowboys to consistently come through in the playoffs when they have a QB who is well above average and most teams would love to have. Again, it's it's a thing where, you know, number one, it's just you, you are who you are. Just because you'd like to be better doesn't mean that you necessarily are. But he's he's phenomenal, but he's not good enough to meet the expectations that he has that are unfair, which is being a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson He's not Joe Burrow. <laughs> so to get to this point every season and be stunned when the Cowboys go out, especially when they're facing a good team, which is what the Packers are. I mean, they've run into these situations where they play good teams in the playoffs. And you can lose those games even at home. It doesn't mean that you need to, to change everything. I mean, one of the things that used to happen to Kansas City for decades and decades was that they would have a good regular season. They would lose to another good team in a home playoff game. Super frustrating. It doesn't invalidate your season. It does mean you weren't the best team in the NFL. You're not the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's very, very fair. Uh, I think still a very successful season for the for the Cowboys. And it feels to me, going into this game, I've had a number of seasons towards the end of Aaron Rodgers' career where they were the number one seed and you have the home field throughout the playoffs, for example, and you get bounced and and that happened a couple of times and i heading into this game i was like well that's happened to the packers a few times why can't we do it to somebody else and i think that's probably how cowboys fans are feeling this week is because they're some of the worst losses because you don't fully you, you think you could lose but you don't really see it coming you're kind of thinking we're going to the nfc championship game at least and then it, it falls apart so i feel like that's where the cowboys are sean you mentioned cj stride and they obviously had a very comfortable one in the end up which was looking closer but we then see you know two pick sixes to, to joe burrow where that fairy tale kind of 
came to an end for him which still an incredibly impressive run for him at the end of the season but stroud similar numbers to what we've seen with jordan love 16 of 21 274 three touchdowns no interceptions i guess nico collins you know six for 96 and one he continues to to look very good there with stroud his consistency with it makes me feel like maybe he is like with the Packers, we're seeing it be different players all the time. But I, I do see a lot of similarities in terms of the two quarterbacks, the players they're playing with, which is making which better. And it feels like at this point, it's the, the quarterback that is making things elevate for both of those. CJ Stroud, is there anything to add except for what you kind of said about Jordan Love and the similarities that you touched on at that point? And is there any other players to, to highlight in this contest? Yeah, I mean, Collins came in with... I believe the worst matchup of the week, according to the passing matchup writer. One of the issues here and one of the reasons people really like the Browns is that in addition to having Joe Flacco sort of unlock the offensive skill guys, you have a pass defense that is absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, CJ Stroud trumps that. And this was another one where I did think that the Cleveland Browns enthusiasm had gotten way out of hand. You're talking about the Texans getting to play at home having a good matchup for their running back. We like Devin Singletary going into this game. He goes 13, 66, and one. Also catches three passes. Those don't turn into any yards. But in PPR formats, you like that little bump on there for him. The overall profile for the Texans, and again, what their coaching staff is doing, makes them a very dangerous team when you have a QB who can make any throw at any time and you have a defense with some playmakers. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of risk for the Ravens here. It's going to be very different going on the road, but I didn't like the Browns coming to Houston to play in this game. It was one of the reasons why in the underdog article last week, I wrote up the Texans as the sleeper, the team that you needed to add on to the end of some of those builds in order to get you through. Unfortunately, because some of the other games were so big, it kind of knocked down the value of Stroud's 274 and three. But you get both him and Collins along with Singletary. Those three guys can help you get across. They did last week. We have a situation on the other side where Joe Flacco, again, you know, 300 plus yards can move the ball. But the Cinderella story finally does end with those pick sixes. Obviously, the news this week, Deshaun Watson expected to be the starter again next year. They have a lot of concerns there i think when you look at david and joku and kind of where he is going when you look at the the ages for Njoku and cooper and trying to keep this team together you have chubb coming off of the injury a lot of your best guys are aging you, know, you don't expect kareem hunt to be back this is a game where they completely lock down the browns rushing attack they rush 20 times for 56 yards if you can make them one-dimensional, obviously Deshaun Watson was far inferior to Joe Flacco this year, which is not what you're hoping for. Kevin Stefanski, I think, is one of the NFL's best coaches. He did a masterful job this season. The Cleveland Browns are going to be good. The question is, can they take the next step? We're going to see Houston try and take the next step this weekend. And Sean, a player who took the next step throughout the entire season, um, you know, we talk about Jordan Love and stride in their ascensions and obviously strides a rookie loves just playing his first season not a, not actually a rookie but Pukunakua Sean absolutely broke every kind of threshold that you could imagine that you wanted to set from 
for this Los Angeles Rams loss, we won't get a chance to talk about them for the rest of the season. We will get to talk about the, the Detroit Lions in our preview coming up. So I'm going to hold you to it, and it's just Puka Nakua. There's nothing else to talk about for this Rams team, but how good is Nakua? You went very early on that he was at least, I believe you had him in the, the second round in your you know early season projections to, to 2024 where is he sitting now and just how good is he 10 targets nine receptions 181 and a touchdown doing it at all depths just looks far advanced beyond his rookie years and where he went in the nfl draft seems insanity well i don't think there's any question that he's the new anquan bolden we've been waiting for the new anquan bolden for years and years and years and i mean this is it right one of the things that you always got from bolden was ferocious running after the catch and toughness that was off the charts. There were times this season where Nakua looked like a product of Cooper Cup being injured and out and them simply needing somebody to catch the ball. There were times where he looked like a possession guy who was probably going to melt a little bit once they got Cup back. And certainly in that first month when Cup was back, there was a clear difference in the explosiveness, the cutting ability, that sort of lateral explosion from Cup to Nakua. And you're thinking, okay, well, again, it's not that he's not going to be a good player, but I mean, he's going to be a number two. He's going to be a possession guy. He's going to be somebody who is good, not great. And one of the things that's easy to forget is that you would actually expect progression from the young player here what we got in this game was crazy you mentioned the vertical i mean he goes for 20 yards per reception <laughs> he catches nine of ten targets he has a 50 yard gain ben and i obviously had him on our team that finished 30th in the ffpc and as he was chugging down the field on the like 70 yard reception there i was just like I wish this dude didn't have four seven speed because I feel like he's going to get caught at the one yard line and it's going to be a Kyron Williams touchdown, which is like all of the bad things. And he did in this game. I don't think he would have been caught. I mean, he just every week he looks better. And every time the lions hit him, he, I mean, he looked like a superhero, right? He's bouncing off of tacklers. He's showing the ability to like, balance on one finger while being tackled by three guys to keep the knees off the ground and then fight forward for 10 more yards. It was one of the most magical performances you're going to ever see, certainly in a loss. And it's unfortunate. I mean, this game was tough for me. I thought that this one was a pure toss up 24, 23 doesn't get any closer than that. I think that the Rams were a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And so for the lions to have gotten through them is absolutely gigantic. And, I mean, they tried to lose it. They got too conservative in the second half. They have not put teams away the way I would like. I think that Ben Johnson does some unbelievable things as the coordinator. But there are also some big red flags where if I'm looking to him to be my new head coach, which basically every team that's looking for a head coach wants him. I mean, he's the number one guy. I mean, I think there are some minor red flags. I mean, you've got to put this game away. You've got to be able to pick up first downs in the second half. Right, But for them to come out and cut through this Sean McVay defense as if they're not even there in the first half. And Jerry Goff, who obviously has a lot at stake. You have so many narratives in this game with Stafford and Goff having switched between these two teams. 
for Goff to come out and be that good in the first half, both quarterbacks average over 10 yards per attempt in this game. Now, that's kind of what you were expecting because that's what the Lions do at home. And the Rams are awesome. And they're playing a Lions defense that's one of the weaker ones. I mean, that's kind of the story here is that going into the postseason, you have some teams with very interesting offenses and the Lions and the Eagles who can't stop anybody at anything. And so you're hoping for some big plays that maybe, you know, make it work for you and you're hoping that your own offense carries you for the lions defense to be able to stand up in the red zone and for jared goff to have been that good in the first half and this is a storybook i don't say ending but beginning here of the playoffs for the detroit lions i wish both teams could have won this game these are two of the most fun teams in the nfl yeah and uh, i know you you're a big stafford fan sean but uh, the lions obviously a team you wanted to advance to so a, a difficult one for you to decide on we are going to finish it there we are going to do a preview show to the weekend's action as well so stay tuned on the road of his overtime podcast feed for that one when it comes out the ffpc playoff challenge continues this week they also have the ff playoff challenge two for the divisional round exact same rules exact same settings as what we talked about last week in the original playoff challenge but because there's less teams, there's less players, you select eight players in this round. So all the same kind of ideas, scoring, everything else applies. There's a $200 contest with a total prize up top for first place of $100,000. They also have a $35 version. So head on over and check those out over at the FFPC. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host as always is Sean Siegel. And until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.